As you can see, we have a guest speaker here this morning, Ryan Berg. Uh, he is one of the, the missionary people that we are able to support financially on a monthly basis and also through prayer. And if you remember, he was here last year, I think it was right around this time, and uh, I just so appreciated, obviously, what they're doing in their ministry with Aruna, but also just him teaching that, I, hey, can we have him back, and can he teach again? So um, we're going to be blessed by what God has placed on, on his heart, and we just thank you for what you're doing. We're glad to partner with you, even if it's in this small way, and his wife, April, is here and, and her parents, so we're so just thankful to have them. And I asked him just before the service, so how do you deal with discouragement in ministry, and how do you navigate that? And, and your response was, we just feel so overwhelmed that this is what we're supposed to do, that the love of Christ is compelling us, that we can't turn to the left, we can't turn to the right, we have to continue doing what we're doing unless God tells us otherwise, no matter how difficult the path is. And I just, man, that's just phenomenal. I, I just think that's submission, that's surrender, and we just, we appreciate that. And it would be easier to do a lot of other things, but God has you on this path and you're going to stick with it. So, yeah. Glad to have you here. Why don't we give him Thanks. a warm, abundant life welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Shane also asked if I would just give you a quick update on Aruna. And before I do that, I want to say thank you. You know, April and I are truly appreciative of your support, your prayers, your involvement. Uh, Shane's recommendation for hair care products. Um, <laughs> it's very meaningful to me. It hasn't worked for either one of us. So... <laughs> but no, truly, we are grateful. We're grateful that you'd be involved with us. It's, uh, it's a real challenge what we do. For those of you who aren't aware, Aruna, we seek to bring and sustain freedom to sex slavery victims in the brothels of South Asia. We do so through employment that's marked by holistic care. And, uh, and what that basically means, we are actually a human rights organization, an international human rights organization, where we've taken the best of nonprofit and the best of for-profit married the two together so that we can free and empower and employ as many of the girls as we possibly can. The reason we're an international human rights organization is because the state in which we operate, it's actually illegal to try and convert someone. So we have to be very intentional about who we are organizationally and then what our greatest desires are personally as followers of Jesus. And so actually tonight, we've, uh, we've been invited to share at a Freedom Summit at Living Water Church. You're all invited if you want to join at 6 p.m. Um, and we'll share very in-depth about the nature of what we're doing in the organization to free and to empower and to employ the women. But we won't be talking about the spiritual element because it's an open audience and we have to be very, very careful about that. Uh, we've spoken about that in the past and it's made its way back to the area where we work and has made some significant challenges. So we have to be very cautious about what we share, when we share. But by God's grace, he has been very, very gracious in the work that we're doing. Um, we have a training center in the heart of the red light area that helps to accelerate the freedom process. Then we have a freedom business about two hours away where we offer employment to the girls, where they have health care, they have retirement, they have a living wage, all in an environment marked by holistic care to try and lift their eyes to truly who 
where true freedom is found in Christ. And, uh, and we've seen some girls come to know Jesus. We're seeing incredible life transformation. Um, and we're producing some really high-quality products as well. It's a, it is a freedom business. We, we use the phrase, it is product-driven, but it's story-enhanced. In other words, if this truly is going to be sustainable for the sake of these women, then we can't be relying on pity purchases. We've got to make sure what we're making competes in the open market here in the West. And by God's grace, it's doing so. And by His grace, too, this past week, uh, Tomina is the most recent girl we were able to set free. Uh, that happened on Monday. And Wednesday was her first day in the freedom business. She's in the, our aftercare transitional housing, and she's doing exceptionally well. So, quick update on Aruna. Uh, it's interesting working in, uh, in a context like India because I realize how, how quickly we in the West use idioms. Things like wearing your heart on your sleeve. That doesn't translate internationally very well, okay? <laughs> Idioms don't go over very well, even when sometimes, you know, the, the first language of somebody's grown up in education is actually English. You know, you can say something like, yeah, you, you just eyeball it. And they're like, what does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, it's, this guy wears his heart on his sleeve. I don't know what that means. And so it can be very confusing. And it was interesting because <laughs> we were talking about this phrase, heart on the sleeve, and it made me think about our passage this morning because... If you really think about that idea of wearing your heart on your sleeve, imagine, not physically, that'd be disgusting, but imagine if some of the things that move through your heart, the thoughts, the emotions, the desires, if those truly were visible on your sleeve for everyone to see, imagine some of the things that you would see. Imagine some of the extent to which you might go to try and hide what others would see on your sleeve. It's an interesting idea because I think the scriptures kind of draw this idea out of what's happening deep inside does bubble its way to the surface. And I think Jesus ultimately wants to, to address some of those things. What if the sin of our hearts was actually visible moment by moment? Terrifying thought. And we gain some understanding from man, just like you and I, in the New Testament in Mark chapter 1 that was read earlier about what it might feel like. So if you would, turn back with me again to Mark 1, beginning in verse 40. If you've got a Bible, feel free to pull it out. I'm indebted to James Edwards on his work in, these, in this gospel of Mark. I'm studying through it, and man, I love a lot of his comments. Verse 40 reads like this. And a leper came to him, imploring him. Now let's just pause there for a moment, okay? Even before we get into this whole thing, we've got to lay down some of the context of what's going on. Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Now if you can envision with me, we've got that sort of Galilean sort of hillside, the kind of cascading down to the Sea of Galilee, you know, this sort of natural amphitheater where Jesus has already been teaching to the masses, He's already been speaking to these large crowds. And what's interesting is the whole way up to this point, even just in, in verse 40 of chapter 1, what Mark has been very intentional about is the idea of Jesus' authority, his authority, his authority, his authority. And Mark, more than any other gospel in the New Testament, has this sort of uh, real economy of words. Like he is very succinct in the words he chooses to use. 
You know, he doesn't kind of wax and wane elaborate with words and different things like that. He is just short and terse. Boom, here it is. And what we find so far up to this point is he's constantly saying, Jesus authority, Jesus authority, Jesus authority. And as he spoke to the crowds, as Jesus, kind of on that, that Galilean hillside, if you can picture it as the kind of the sun shining and the crowds are gathered and Jesus is teaching, they're amazed at his authority. Now what's interesting is as he kind of comes down from that hillside, what we get is ultimately this account happens next. And if you can picture the scene of what happens here is the crowds are literally pressed in on Jesus. Now in the Gospel of Mark, it's really interesting because the word crowd is used over 40 times. And almost every single time it's used in a negative way. In other words, the crowds are either obstructing people's access to Jesus or hindering him from getting to where he needs to be. And if you can picture the scene leading up to this leper, you've got these crowds literally pressed body to body up against Jesus, pressing in on him, pressing in and pressing in and pressing in. They're all wanting something that they particularly feel like they need from him, but may not necessarily want him. And as they're kind of pressing in and pressing in, and as the crowd's trying to move and Jesus is trying to make his way through and they're all crowded in, all of the sudden, in the distance, they hear something that causes them to all pause. Causes kind of a, kind of a quick breath of the heart. Unclean! Unclean! There's a leper doing what he's supposed to do. When he gets anywhere near a human, he starts to yell out, according to what's required of him, unclean, unclean. And you can picture the scene as all the crowds are kind of pressed in. They start kind of looking around like, where is this guy? And as they start to kind of figure out where he is, guess what the next step is? Guess what was culturally accepted within the first century for a leper? They pick up stones. They start looking around on the ground for stones to pick him up to keep him at the 50-pace distance. That's what was accepted. If that leper, he was supposed to call out unclean, he was supposed to remain 50 steps away, and if he didn't, you were allowed to scoop up stones and make sure he stayed his distance away. And so imagine the scene. As they're all pressed in on Jesus, and this leper starts to call out, and the crowds start to kind of look around frenzied in self-protection. And it's interesting because all we get straight out of the gate is a leper. We know nothing else about him except he's singularly identified by the very thing that keeps him alienated and exiled. To understand kind of the significance of this, we have to understand leprosy. It was a widespread disease in Palestine. It was harsh. Ultimately, what we know from, from kind of the scriptures is that in many ways, if you go back to Leviticus 13 to 14, it kind of reads almost like a, like a manual on dermatology. It kind of goes through all these different sort of skin diseases, and, and ultimately they would say that there's about 72 different diseases that would kind of be qualified under leprosy. And within the Old Testament, it was believed that God was the only one that could heal and cleanse leprosy. Passages like this, Leviticus 13 Verses 45 through 46 read like this. The leprous person 
who has the disease shall wear torn clothes. Let the hair of his head hang loose, and she, he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Often in the first century, somebody that had leprosy was referred to as the living dead. And ultimately what this was, is it was not just a sort of diagnosis of a, of a skin disease, but it was a judgment and a sentence. Because what it meant is you now had to be identified as an exile outside the camp. So this wasn't just a sense of the disease, and the disease is, is, is brutal. What it does to the skin and how it starts to affect some of the circulation and, and the smell of rot. And, and I mean, it's, it's a pretty nasty thing. And then the way that it was looked, the disheveled hair and the covered up face and the sort of torn, tattered clothing. Living outside the camp, which was the center of Jewish life. Essentially being exiled and put outside. And if you think through what, the, what this looks like, is you got an individual who was a part of the community, part of the inside, you know, who had had relationships, who had a job and a business and work and family and friends and all the other things that come along with it, socially accepted on the inside of the covenant community. And yet, once they have this sort of thing that comes up to the surface and shows itself, they are now exiled, outside of the community, outside of relationship, outside of provision, completely alone, because they are unclean. Now, what's also really interesting about this Leviticus passage is the diagnosis of leprosy. In this passage, it says it ten times that it's deeper than the skin. Deeper than the skin, 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 deeper than the skin. Do you think God's trying to communicate something about the nature of what's kind of taking place and why they would say this isn't just a disease that needs to be healed, but it's considered something that's unclean, set apart, exiled out? Because the nation of Israel was to be a nation that is holy and set apart for the Lord. And all, this, all of what we're getting here is this sort of division between the sort of holy community that's accepted by the Lord and someone who has been exiled outside because of something deeper than the skin that causes them to be unclean. Do you see the message of how deep it's starting to get and what we're looking at here? Something that's on the surface of the skin is a result of something that's much deeper that causes an exile from the holy community. There's a picture of sin here. And ultimately, the picture that we get is how is Jesus going to respond? You know, it's pretty incredible. If we step back into this scene... If you step back into Jesus on the, that sloping Galilean hillside and the crowds pressing in and the voice yelling out unclean and the crowd scrambling for rocks trying to figure out what to do 
And as that crowd's all pressed in and they kind of start to part open, it's kind of like almost like this, this parting of a whole group of people and that leper starts to make his way close. And all that crowd is making sure they're 50 paces away. And what does Jesus do? Jesus steps toward him. And Jesus starts to lift his hand. Let me ask you this. Would you do it? Would you touch the untouchable? If it meant that you yourself would experience the pain, the hurt, the exiled aloneness that he experiences. Would you do it? It's an interesting question. If the leper were here, right here, right now, would you do it? If it meant he could be cleansed and brought back in. Because the reason we have to wrestle with that question is because not does it just mean that we would do it and he would be ushered back in, but it also means that we ourselves would have to take on all of what he's experienced, laying down our lives and all the future potential of what we could be for the sake of another. Would you do it? Would you be willing? Because the question that runs through my head is what kind of love would it take to lay down my life for the sake of another. It's the love of a Savior. A love of a gracious, good, and kind, and all-powerful King. And that's what we see happen. As we step back into the scene, it reads like this. As this, as this leper comes to him, imploring him, and notice it says he kneels down. And as you picture that scene with all the crowds kind of parted, Jesus moving toward him, the leper kneels down before him. And notice what it says. If you will, you can make me clean. There's not a question of his ability. There's not a question of Jesus' ability or authority. It's simply his willingness to do it. And notice what it tells us about Jesus. Moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Now imagine as the crowds are looking on on this thing, as he's starting to reach out to touch this leper, I'd imagine the crowds are going, does he realize what he's doing here? Does he realize if he touches this leper, he's going to be put outside the camp? He's going to be exiled. He's going to take on everything that this uncleanliness of this leper means. He's going to take it on and be out there with him. Doesn't he realize this? I wonder if part of the crowd started going, no, 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 no. Maybe not out of a genuine care for Jesus, but because this Jesus, who they're wanting something from, is now going to be put outside the camp and unclean, and they won't be able to go to him. It's pretty interesting to consider the impact. As Jesus starts to press in, the crowd's trying to deter him from engaging with the leper. And yet, he says, I will. I will. Can Jesus really take something this is an infected someone much more deeper than the skin, causing them to be unholy, exiled. Can he really take it, remove it, 
and cleanse that person and bring them back into reconciled relationship? Of course he can. And when the crowd's looking on, he says, I will. I am willing. Only God can cleanse leprosy. I am willing. And I would have loved to see the scene as that leper is down on his knees and the smell of that leper is kind of in the air. And you can see his skin kind of boiled over and the ratty torn hair. And I would have loved to see Jesus reach out and touch him. And notice what it says first. It says that Jesus touches him, then says, I will be clean. Jesus didn't cleanse him, then touch him. 